Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Hi, this is Keith Williams with the Skill Stadium podcast. We have an exciting episode today. Today, you're going to learn about career opportunities in the automotive industry and what it takes to be successful in that industry. My guest today is Erica Tiffany Wells, and she is a sales manager. Erica, welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast. Tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you so much, Keith. I am so excited about being here today and thank you for the invitation. So I started in the car business 15 years ago. And the reason I got in the car business was because I hated the experience of buying a car and getting my car repaired. It was awful. And I remember the day I walked into a shop, my car was just on its last leg. I had to two foot it to keep it running. I had to take a wire and keep the lights on in the front. And I walked in and I said, hey, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. And the guy was like, it's going to cost you a hundred and something dollars. I didn't have the money. And he offered me a job doing his marketing to help get oil changes at a Midas. That was the beginning. And here, 15 years later, I've done everything from sales, working in a call center, writing service at an auto repair shop. And now I'm a sales manager at a Nissan store here in Georgia. And I just absolutely love the automotive field. It's extremely lucrative. Um, I come from a background without a formal education. So the opportunities that it has allowed me to you know, come to without actually going to school and now without having a degree has been absolutely phenomenal. And I really enjoy sharing that story. Excellent. Erica, thank you for that introduction. You know, I really heard about you on a Zoom call. And uh, there was a story that I I would like you to talk about. Uh, It was a Zoom call for WOCAN, Women of Color in the Automotive Industry Network. And what I enjoyed hearing was you shared a story about how you drove up Philadelphia met Patrice Banks, and you guys ended up in the White House. And can you share how your curiosity and sense of adventure has you know, created those opportunities? And by the way, Patrice Banks is owner of Girls Auto Clinic, which is a uh, all-women auto shop in, in Philadelphia, suburbs of Philly. But please share that story with us. Absolutely. So my girlfriend, Jasmine, she's she's an automotive technician. She's actually a lady technician that has her own mobile repair shop. And she's been following Patrice for a long time because Patrice is absolutely amazing. Right. You have this clinic where all female technicians work, where you can also get your hair done and your nails done while you get an oil change. I was blown away. She was having the grand opening. I didn't know her from a can of paint. And I'm looking at her pictures on Instagram talking about opening the shop. And I'm like, we have to be there right? I'm a woman of color. She's a woman of color. We need to connect. We have to support this. And so I book a ticket to Philadelphia. We get an Airbnb and we literally walk up and knock on her shop door the night before her grand opening. And I hope not to be a creepy creeper, but I'm like, listen, Patrice, you don't know me, but I love what you're doing. I wanted to be here support. We flew in from Atlanta to be here to your grand opening. I know it's tomorrow, but you're going to have a crazy day with the press and everybody being here. So I just wanted to take two seconds to introduce myself a day early before it gets crazy. And she welcomed me with open arms. It was so incredible. She says, come in, forget the Airbnb. You guys can crash at my house tonight if you need to. She introduced us in front of the entire press as her guest that came all the way from Atlanta. 
And then when the party was all over and everything had calmed down and we're heading back to, you know, get ready to get to our flight. She says, you know what? Can you stay an extra day? And I'm in the car business. So really, I can't stay an extra day. But I'm like, for Patrice Banks, I'm going to stay an extra day. I'm like, what do you have in mind? She's like, oh, no, nothing. Just I'm speaking at the White House tomorrow. What? The White House? Tomorrow? Yeah. And I want you to be my special guest. Hold on. Let me get some press credentials and get you guys your security clearance. She's literally sending our socials across the email link to get a security clearance. And I still have the letter from the White House to this day that says that wow. I've been accepted to come in, mind blown. And we're driving to D.C. in her car with a bunch of her technicians to listen to her talk about entrepreneurship, to listen to her talk about women, making sure that we get these contracts making sure that we're in construction fields and making sure that we're getting some of this government funded money because there's so much money for minorities, for women, that's just unclaimed every year. And it was absolutely mind blowing. We've been great friends ever since. I actually helped her plan her wedding and her shop almost two years later. And it's just about the power of networking, about the power of being intentional and putting yourself out there has created a lifelong friendship. Definitely, definitely. That That is remarkable. What was the White House like? Was that your first time at the White House? First time. I'm in awe. I'm just like, you can't have your phone and take a lot of pictures and stuff. So I'm just like trying to soak it all in and take it all in and hoping I could get a glimpse of, you know, somebody famous. But it's so big. You know, we're obviously in little tiny one wing ring, wing of the room, but it, it just it's as incredible as you would imagine it to be. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, I think um, your sense of adventure and curiosity will just it it's amazing the doors that that will open for for you and for anybody who decides to have that mentality you know what it's, it's, it's it's about what, what, you can't be afraid right what's the worst that can happen if someone says no is if someone doesn't respond to you but what if what if they say yes what if they open that door what if they let you in what if they're willing to make that connection and for me that's why i'm always willing to step out on that branch and take that risk yeah that's faith that's faith Absolutely. Erica, talk to us about WOCAN and how you got involved in the organization. Wolkin formed naturally. So here it is. Padrice Banks and I are friends. We had another friend, Carrie Wise, who's the VP over at True Car, which is a car buying kind of uh, car buying advice company. And then Amanda Gordon, who owns her own dealership and is the first black woman to run a dealership in the state of Colorado. And all four of us had been friends. We had been connecting online. And in the middle of the summer, when all the racial tension started to happen with the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, we just yes. felt like the auto industry was quiet. No one was saying anything. No one was speaking up. And we realized how unbalanced the automotive industry is for women of color, for minority women. And we, we got together on these group calls and we would talk and we would talk about our issues. And we said, you know what? We need this sisterhood even more now than ever in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of all this racial tension. We need each other. We need to support each other. And if we need each other and we're strong women, what about all the other women out there? So we decided to start this nonprofit organization to help Latina women, to help you know Asian women and African-American women get in the industry and also maintain, sustain within the industry because it's tough, because we have those days when we just want to drop out and decide that this is not for us. And so we decided to form something that would bring the women together and then help dealers learn how to retain the talent that they have to continue to bring them up and bring them through the industry. Yeah, because, you know, if you're not working on developing your talent, you're, you're going to lose them. It's just, you know, I, I read a stat recently where, you know, 
70% of people change jobs every two years. Wow. And I would imagine the automotive industry is not that different. You no. Know? You know, if people have, you know, as we get older, people have a low threshold for dealing with nonsense. And if they're not treated right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so. And, and with the auto industry, less than 6% of, of minority women represent, you know, the sales force and the management force. If you think about that number and then think of turnover and attrition rate, we can't afford to lose anyone. Well, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And it's, I mean, it's not even in double digits. That's ridiculous. Not even in double digits. That's, that's horrible. But you know, that's also reflective in some other industries. I worked in a tech industry and it was under 6% of, of just African-American black people, period. Period. Women, just period. And you know how male dominated the tech industry is. So I wouldn't even want to guess what the stats were for the women in the tech industry. So it's not uncommon. And a lot of it is association, how people are treated, your networks and your relationships. And that's really what gets people into most jobs these days. So uh, it's important for an organization like Wokan to be involved in the auto industry. So I, I get it. Totally get it. Um, you know, looking over at your background, you started work at a time when social media was not what it is today. Uh, can you share how that's affected how you work and connect with others? I think it's made it so much easier, but it's also made it so easy to get distracted, right? Because I felt like I had time management was a lot easier when I didn't have the clubhouse, the Instagram, the Facebook, the YouTube. I mean, all these different places that are trying to take your time and attention, all these different uh, silos where you're trying to put your personality out there and give your highlight reel of who you are. And so while there's a certain level of efficiency, because yes, I can connect with more people, there's also a certain lack of intimacy because everything is so kind of superficial. Everything is so just, you know, send a tweet out there, try to get likes, try to get attention. Uh, the automotive industry luckily has started to evolve a little bit more now that the pandemic has happened because they have been forced to do more online retailing. They've been forced to do more appointment setting, whether you're getting your car serviced. People don't want to come in, right? Not just because of the yeah. pandemic. People didn't want to come in bef before the pandemic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now yeah. we have to make it easy for people because you can literally go on your phone, right? And one tap, go ahead and order your food, order your groceries. So not that you should be able to order your car online, but why not, right? Amazon yes. has made everything easy for you to order with a click of a button and people are being conditioned that online experiences should be like that. And the automotive industry is going to have to evolve. Yeah. I've noticed even when I've brought my car in for service, the waiting rooms are getting nicer. They have, you know, the TVs, they're making it almost like it's a, like it's a club. You know, like you're going, they're trying to make it look like you're at home. They're trying to make you comfortably stay there comfortably. And part of it is it's smart. Like instead of giving a, you a loaner car to go take off and do whatever things you want to do, which obviously is an expense to them, they keep you in the, they keep you there. Maybe you go roam over to see what the new cars are like, but I, I, I can see why that is. That's um, the idea, Q, but let me ask you a question. So they make the waiting room super nice with the big screen TV. They even got rooms where there's like stadium seating and headphones you know, some of these these waiting rooms for service centers are just amazing. But if yeah. you had the choice from being home and someone could drop, pick up your car, take it to get a service and bring oh, it yeah. back. <laughs> I, I, I would take I would take that. Yes. In a heartbeat, right? Definitely. In a heartbeat. Wouldn't even have to think about that. And I'll tell you, I think that that's that's a place I think I wouldn't be surprised if I see car companies start to do that. Where, like you said, like with Amazon, you click a button, somebody comes, picks up your car, takes it, gets it serviced, brings it back to you. 
Um, it obviously takes more time, but you know, you're going to, and you're going to probably have to pay for it. But I think there are people who are like, that's, that's great. I pay for the convenience, right? I yeah. pay for the prime membership. There's a, there's an exclusivity of paying more to get things faster, quicker, and easier with less friction. And we're going to need to employ more people in this industry who understand and appreciate that because it's not the automotive industry. It's almost the tech industry, right? The yes. typical technician now is not necessarily in there with gloves on, getting their hands dirty. They're sitting in front of a computer, plugging yes. up wires to the car. It's a different environment. No, and I agree. we need new talent to keep this thing going. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I'll tell you something, being in, you know, being in the Atlanta suburbs, you know, there's a lack of public trans, you know, it's lack of public transportation. And that means, you know, having a car is essential. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's not something that's a luxury when you live in Atlanta. I mean, I've lived in other cities, you can get away with not having a car. But here, particularly if you're in the suburbs, you know, talk to me about how that has impacted your industry. I would imagine that you're a lot busier now in a market like Atlanta, just because everybody has to have a car. Absolutely. Not only does everybody have to have a car, the ride sharing and uh, Ubers and the Lyfts and the DoorDash and, you know, these uh, Instacart companies are causing more people to use their transportation as a form of work, right? Yes. So now you have even more cars on the road, more deliveries, and the ability for people to put miles on their car is becoming increasing. So now you have cars that are 2017, 2018, and they're coming in with 50, 60, 70,000 miles. Wow. Right? So <laughs> imagine, A, the service opportunities that you have, just because now the oil change every three months is almost an oil change every month. Yes. Not to mention the turnover for the cycle of buying, because someone can't keep that car at 70,000 miles, and they're trying to get out of it quicker. So it's it's just it's changed the industry as a whole. You know, the idea of getting yes. a car with 10,000 miles on it is like a thing of the past. Yes. No, I, I could see that. I hear you on that. You know, and also if you the, the pandemic. Right. So. A lot of jobs are getting disrupted. And so if you look at retail, hospitality, you know, that that is impacted tremendously. But. What I think is still a, a stable is people still have to get around. Um, what have you seen in terms of your business, how the pandemic has affected you guys? It was tough. The first couple of months, we think of March and April. I mean, it was a ghost town. And I think everybody was just afraid. A lot of dealers shut down. They, they laid people off. They laid their salespeople off. It was an appointment only. There were no test drives unless the customer went by themselves. It, it, for a period there, we were all frozen in time. And as things started to pick up, as we started to learn about bringing the masks and, and wiping things down and sanitizing, I think we all started to feel a little bit more comfortable. And then we had this weird boom. I think people had just got tired of sitting in the house. Everything's yeah. closed. And just like we had the tire kickers of before, we had the tire kickers of today just with the mask on. People needed to get out. So all yeah. of a sudden we saw this boost in the industry where people were like, and they had money, right? They're starting to get these PPP loans. They're starting to get mm -hmm. these small business loans. People are thinking about buying money for their company. They have the down payment now. And we saw for about a two month period, this surge of customers who were ready to buy, which was bananas. Yes. It was bananas because we're like, where are these people coming from? I thought they were scared to come out. And so business was great. And I'll tell you, we did not shut down the dealership one day. I did not have to lay off one employee. My call center girls had 40 hours. My technicians stayed working. And it was a blessing to have that. And I'm not going to say that automotive industry is pandemic proof. But if you're looking for a career place where there's stability, people are always going to have a car. 
especially in a market like Atlanta, they transportation is vital. And as you spoke to, you know, with the cold and the heat and we have these different, you know, variances, people don't want to be on MARTA. They don't want to be on the train. They want to be in control and be in their car. And that creates a a opportunity with this industry for anyone looking for a change. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about lifestyle. I know I have a family and I have young kids and, you know, they're preteens, but I can't wait for them to drive to be able to, for them to have independence, you know, because, you you know, and, and, and I'm not any different from any other parent. So a lot of people are buying that third car, you know, or, you know, for the kids, like, even, I mean, it might not be the fanciest car, but people, it, it is so essential that transportation, particularly, like I said, in Atlanta. I also think during the pandemic, people were saving money. So the money that they saved that they weren't spending, they're like, oh, now I could go get this car that I'd always wanted to get. So I would imagine that that could have also been an effect of what you were saying. Yep, cabin fever, right? They're saving money. It's looking, they're looking at their bank account grow because they're not doing all the other frivolous things that we spend their money yeah. on, right? We started becoming kind of uh, minimalistic to some degree. Yeah. I had a new appreciation for staying home with the family, playing video games at the house, watching movies. Because there wasn't bowling and movie night and dinner and skating rink and all these other things. So uh, to your point, yes, people were saving money, but as they watched it grow, it felt like it was burning a hole in their pocket. All right. What do I need to do? I want to go buy a car. I want to make sure that they were coming into the service department, getting things work done that they hadn't thought about in a long time. Go ahead, get the tires, get the brakes. I'm like, you're not even going anywhere. Yeah, I know. When, when the time is right, I want to be ready. (laughs) Definitely. No, I hear you. You know, you, you were talking earlier about, the low percentage of women in the automotive industry, which we know is common. I've actually interviewed some women who are in automotive industry, you know, obviously it's male dominated. So, you know, share how you were able to break into the industry and make a transition into management because you are in a leadership role. It was tough, especially when I started. I mean, I started before the first recession back in 08, 09 in the automotive industry. And I started out as a salesperson um, as I, I said before, I started off at first working in a repair shop. It was a Midas. I was at the front. I was ordering parts. I was, you know, writing up the service jobs for the guys in the in the shop. And I didn't know anything about it. So I, one thing is you don't have to be a car person. Don't get caught up in the idea that you have to love. I don't like cars. I can't tell you much about most cars, but I like people. The automotive mm-hmm. industry is a people business. And so I'm working in the shop and I was making $8 an hour, which was not much back then, but I kept going. I got promoted and I went and got my dealer license. I stepped out out there. I went and got my dealer license. And I remember going to my first auction. I was like, you know what? I'm about to buy these cars. I'm going to flip them. I'm going to take them to the shop, have my shop technician guys that I know work on them. Then I'm going to throw them on Craigslist, which was the hit back then. And I'm going to sell these cars on Craigslist. I thought I was a genius. Went and got my business license. My got bonded, got my surety. I did all this work. And I remember going to the auction. It was probably like my third or fourth car. And I'll never forget. It was a purple Acura and it said needs battery, right? So they get these little codes and they write it on the window. And so I'm like, ah, I got it. So I auction, I'm raising my hand. I'm bidding. I'm like, I'm getting that Acura. It just needs a battery. What I didn't realize is that there was red, yellow, and green lights that tell you if it needs more than just a battery. And I missed that part. So the car gets Uh-oh. towed back to the dealership because it just needs a battery. They put it on the lift and it also needs a transmission. Oh, no. And I'm sitting here. My boss oh, looked at no. me like, Erica, this is the beginning of your car selling flipping experience. It ended pretty quickly. I realized there was a lot more I needed to know about buying and flipping cars. And so I went and worked at a dealership. 
And I started selling cars on the point. I ended up, you know, being one of the top salespeople. And the manager was like, how do you outsell the guys that have been in the industry longer than you? And I was working the phones. The phones was my best friend. I wasn't going to stand outside in the heat and cold waiting for this customers to come in. I stood, I had my finger on the phone so that when it rang, I was the first one to pick it up. And I would take these phone calls and I would tell the people, I understand your situation. I was working at a buyer pay here with people who had bad credit, previous repossessions, bankruptcies, and just wanted a second chance. And I understood what that was like. And I said, look, I get how you feel. I know what it feels like to not know if you're going to get approved. I understand the anxiety you're going through. Come in, come see me, and I'm going to do my best to take care of you. And people appreciated that authenticity. And soon I had referrals and people coming in and my managers were like, can you teach the other sales guy how to do what you're doing? And that was my, my intro into leadership. But I'll tell you this, be careful about wanting to get paid for a job that you don't know how to do before you know how to do it. A lot of times I've asked people to, to get the coaching and training and say, well, you're not paying me to do that, so I don't want to do it. If you pay me, then I'll do it. But it's almost like college, right? You'll go to college and pay someone to teach you. So if you're in a position in your job and someone's willing to teach you the next level, the next job, learn it. Learn it while they're not paying you. Because if you have the skill sets of a $30, $40 an hour employee, but you're a $20 an hour an employee, but you learn the skill sets of the person above you, even if you're not getting paid for that yet, your value as a person becomes more. And soon someone, even if it's not your current job, will realize that value and say, you have higher skill sets than what you're getting paid. I want to bring you into my organization because you know much more than your position. But the only reason you knew those things is because you learned them while you were in your current position when no one was paying you. That's, That's true. the key. That's the key to moving up. That's the key to the leadership and absorb everything. Always raise your hand. I'll do it. I'll volunteer. Teach me. Let me figure it out because I wanted to make sure that I learned as much as I can from as many people as I can. So when the opportunity hit and that position was available, I could go in with confidence and say, I'm the person for this job. I know I can do it. And I have the experience, even though I don't have necessarily the title. Oh, well said. Well said. I, I agree. It, it's There's a saying, learners are earners. And we live in a world that is constantly, constantly changing and if you're not changing with it, you're going to get left behind. You will become irrelevant. So I, I agree with you 100%. Also, you know, uh, if you're going to promote somebody, you're going to promote the person who's best qualified, who's actually gone out and learned, learned the skill sets necessary for that job. So, you know, and, and it says a lot when somebody's telling you, oh, I, I'm not getting paid for that, so I'm not doing that. You already know Hello? that that's not, right. that's not your person. <laughs> so, makes perfect sense, definitely. You know, so... You know, we're talking about learning. We have a skills gap and that's obviously a challenge. And how do you think we can get more people into the skilled trades? I think one of the things we need to do is let people who are in the skills trades tell the story. You know, when we talked about the women technicians, a lot of it was representation. The women didn't think they could be technicians because they couldn't see women technicians. It's the, it's the funniest thing when you see a lady technician walk from behind the shop come out to the guy to tell him about his car. And he's, his eyes are all big, like, huh? Yes. He's confused for a half a second, right? What is going on here? And she yes. starts to explain about his waters being, his, his rotors being warped and how the brakes are going to shift if he doesn't get this replaced. And he's mind blown, but why not? Right. Yeah. Let, let's think about these, these things and say, it's not about a man or a woman. It's just about being the right person. So if we start to show the representation of these jobs and how they how important they are to our communities, you know, technicians that use their hands to go out there and, and work on these cars every day, keep the economy going. It's why during the pandemic, they were considered essential. Repair shops didn't have to shut down. 
right? No. Because they were essential because without transportation, everything stops. The police, oh, yeah. you know, the medical industry, how do these nurses and doctors get to work? It's in their cars. So yes, the automotive true. industry is just a place where you can feel at home, where you can have longevity and you can make an incredible amount of money. I tell people all the time, I was a 19 year old high school dropout. You know, I got in the automotive industry because my car was in shambles and I needed help. And yet it's been so good to me, so lucrative to me that I, when I'm in a restaurant, I give them my card. When I meet someone in the drive-thru at Starbucks who has a great smile and great personality, they say, have you ever thought about the car business? If not, call me. I want to make sure to spread the word to everyone I know about my own experiences in automotive that I may just bring one more person in and they may just bring one more person in, you know, and that you may find the missing piece to your puzzle is right there at the restaurant who's serving you food or that Uber driver or Lyft driver might be that person who needs to come and work in the shop with you. But we just need to make those connections. And every single day I challenge myself to make a connection with someone to tell them about this amazing industry, which is why I'm on your podcast, Keith. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Erica. Thank you. And, and and I agree with you. I have noticed that the auto industry has evolved. It has. I, you know, I, I look at how they're doing a lot of business online. There's a lot of information for the consumer before going in. That didn't exist before. So, you know, you're, um, it means that your salespeople have to be more savvy now. They have to be able to, to be better communicators with the uh, with the customer, there's more there's more of an emphasis put on that personal relationship. You just said it. The auto technician has to come from behind and talk to the actual customer. We didn't see that so much before. Now you're seeing it. You're seeing the face of the person who's fixed your car. That's powerful. So the automotive industry, they're starting to get it. And I think if they're really, really getting it, the fact that they have um, organizations like Wokan. You know, the fact that there is a push to get more women into the industry, because who are their customers? Absolutely. <laughs> customers are women. You don't take care of your customer. You don't have a business. I'm, I don't I don't have to know anything about the automotive industry to know that if you don't take care of your customer, you're in trouble. So uh, it, I'm glad that there are some folks who are getting it in, in obviously in your industry. And um, the, the, the pandemic has forced dealers to change their model. Because they would just, hey, you got to come in, you got to come in. People don't want to come in. People can't come in. And so it's changed us to be more forthcoming. Now technicians are using video to show the customer, here, let me just send you a video showing you your brake pads need to be changed, showing your tires are at the bottom, showing you there's a leak. And so when customers get that transparency and say, now I've seen the video of the leak, that trust issue can go away right? So that you can start to feel more comfortable. And if you dealt with someone who was a nice and wonderful technician who you felt was honest and capable and, you know, made you feel comfortable, then why wouldn't you look at that as an opportunity and say, you know what, maybe I, I could get into this field, maybe because this experience was so nice for me. Why wouldn't I want to share that experience with other people? Definitely. Hey, you know, you've talked about how lucrative the automotive industry is. Are you okay with sharing maybe a range of income maybe on the technical side for like technicians that they can make. Cause I know sales is obviously it's performance based, you know, having a sales background, I wouldn't even ask you to go there, but for an auto technician, somebody who's repairing those cars. Could you give a range? In sure. terms of income? On the low end, I'd say 40, 50,000. And this is just for like an oil change tech. You're new to the business. You're changing oil. You're, you know, changing tires. You don't know much, but you're trying to get your certifications, your entry level. And then you start getting into the high end as you become more skilled and you become, 
an A tech, B tech, C tech, as you kind of learn the different levels and you get more qualified, you know, the income potential is unreal because you start trading your hours for dollars and these jobs become, you know, at, at certain dealerships, you know, when you're talking about a flat rate of $160 per hour that we're charging the customer and there's a percentage of that that you're getting, I've seen, you know, technicians being able to make seventy, eighty, hundred thousand dollars in as a technician and enjoy mm-hmm. it and love it, yeah. love their job, love what they're doing. And as as I said too, it's not as as hands on as it used to be. So it's hot and it's cold and your your hands are getting dirty. It's computer based. You're sitting yeah. in front of your computer. You're doing a lot of diag. You know, now these manufacturers are becoming super smart where they're having computers and like go-to meetings with other technicians at the manufacturer helping you diag the car with the codes, analyzing it. You think about the brand Tesla and how it's all electric, right? So they can literally download programs into your car to fix it. What is the future of automotive? How many opportunities are they going to be in there for technicians who have a computer and tech background? And it's not just the mechanical part of it, but it's in addition to. So you take the mechanical side and you take the technician side and add to it the tech side and you have a monster beast opportunity for people in this field. Awesome. I, I agree with you 100%. A lot of these cars are computers, and you've got to be able to code. <laughs> and we know what they pay coders in the tech industry. They are paid very oh well. Oh, my goodness. So, so you've, you've got to. And, and I would imagine that, that a lot of young people sometimes are just not aware of that. So I'm so glad that you did they, share they that. They aren't. And the older cars aren't going anywhere. I can't tell you the number of 2004s and 2005s that are coming in our shop with 300,000 miles on it. So let's not be afraid of those cars either, because sure, we're getting new cars in the market and that's the more techie cars, but the old cars are still running. And the people that love those old cars are keeping them forever. I've tried to trade them out. Trust me. (laughs) So those cars aren't going anywhere. And we're going to continue to need the technicians to work on those as well. So you have this great balance and this great cycle of old and new merged together. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, Erica, you work for Nissan. Nissan makes good cars. They Those cars run a long time. Yeah. To my and, demise, sometimes I'm like, are you still driving this thing? Can you get out of it, please? <laughs> if it's paid for, don't replace it. You Hello, exactly. Car payment. <laughs> I, I drive cars till the wheels fall off. You're that guy, I, right? That depreciates. I, I'm not fancy and I'm not ashamed to say it. I'll drive it. I'll drive it till it dies. <laughs> I love that. And then we have the other customer on the flip side that wants to trade the car out because they have to put tires on it. No, so funny. <laughs> so Erica, wrapping up, tell me, what are your career aspirations? What does success look like for Erica? You know, when I look at where I'm at in this industry, there's, there's two sides of it. You know, there's a part of me that wants to own my own dealership that wants to be a general manager, VP of my own store and says, you know, I want to disrupt this industry. I want to change the way people are buying cars. I want to make this feel like the best experience ever because the only thing people hate buying a car, they hate servicing their car. They're like, oh, it's just loathsome. It just gives me anxiety. So I want to change that industry and make it different. Then on the other side, I just want to go out there and tell people how great the industry is. I want to just quit my job and be a motivational speaker and walk out there and shout it from the mountaintop come into the business. So I'm always balancing how do I do both, right? Because I want to create an industry that's welcoming by being a disruptor and being a change to the business. But I also want to make sure that I don't forget the grassroots of the community and I don't get so busy being an owner or general manager 
that I can't go out there and share the story. So for me, the balance is being able to have opportunities like this, Keith, to be able to A, share my story, and then B, when I finish, go back to work, right? Because my career aspirations to own the business means that I can be inside the field and change it within, but also be very connected to those people outside so that I can continue to draw new and innovative people into this industry that are going to help be the force to change it. Yeah. I brilliant. I, I, when, when I, when I listen to you, I think more thought leader sales leadership, because you definitely, your personality is very, it's inspiring. Well, thank you. It's inspiring. It's it's inspiring, and I would imagine that you're somebody who can influence and inspire people. So I, I think you're someone who would need to be able to continue to interact with people, even as you as you rise up. I could see you leading other leaders. That's well, kind of you. you know as I just just uh, my observation. So I wish you continued success. I thank you so much for being on the Skill Stadium podcast and uh, look forward to future collaborations. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. And I would love for you to talk to Patrice and have her on to tell her incredible story at her shop and uh, the challenges she has finding technicians to work and the, the, the need for technicians in the industry right now. So many dealerships are in need of techs. It is a phenomenon that is just um, untouched of the amount of talent that they're looking to get. So uh, maybe we can connect you with Patrice and bring her on as well. Oh, definitely. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Patrice for sure. Yeah. Thank you again so much for, for this opportunity. Thank you, Erica. Have a fantastic day. You too. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.